Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 496 of So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast that's all about writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo. I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre and your host. We talk about all things to do with the world of writing, publishing, and how to succeed as an author or writer. So what have you guys been up to this week? I had a small road trip down the south coast, which was something, the south coast of New South Wales, which was something I really needed. And it was great just to have a dose of a bit of relaxation, a bit of creativity. Uh, I went to the museum at Bundanon to check out the exhibition and it was great to immerse myself in a different environment for a while. If you're not familiar with Bundanon, it's not Bundanoon, the town of Bundanoon. It's a different thing. It's Bundanon. And I think the best way to describe it is to tell you what's on the website. It basically says Bundanon is many things. It's an art museum embedded in the landscape. And it's just stunning. It's a beautiful landscape. So it's over a thousand hectares and it's a gift to the Australian people by Arthur and Yvonne Boyd, as in Arthur Boyd, the famous Australian artist. So he started buying up plots of land in that area and eventually gifted it to the people of Australia in order to have a um, place where people could create a, well, the government, I guess, could create a cultural institution where they also hold things like creative residencies. So you can be an artist, like a visual artist or a sculptor or whatever. You can also be a writer. I know people who have gone on writing residencies at Bundanong. Now there's this also amazing accommodation where you can stay in this incredibly spectacular, architecturally designed um, thing that looks like a bridge. (laughs) And that is so you can spend the week there and immerse yourself in the exhibitions or sometimes they have festivals and stuff like that. So it was a great way to spend uh, a little bit of time on this trip away. Okay, now this week's writing tip is actually from one of my posts on the Australian Writers Centre blog, and it's all about notebooks, because of course, writers love notebooks. I love notebooks, and these just aren't any notebooks. They belong to best-selling, amazing, prolific author Kate Forsyth. Kate's published a bazillion books and for each one she pours her ideas into a gorgeous notebook you know not just some crappy spiral bound thing from office works but she really takes care to pick her notebooks and it's absolutely crammed full of questions and maps and diagrams and research and so much more and each time she starts on a new manuscript Kate likes to choose a notebook that speaks to the story that she's telling. So, for example, in her latest book, The Crimson Thread, which is a reimagining of the Minotaur in the labyrinth myth, she had a crimson notebook and a gold labyrinth on it. Actually, by the end, she had so many notes, she had four of the same notebooks. And they're absolutely gorgeous. But you get to get a sneak peek at Kate's notebooks because she's given us photos, not just of the notebooks, but of inside the notebooks. So you can check... Out the kinds of scribbles that she she puts in there, the kinds of notes she makes when she's formulating the ideas for her novel. So you can check out the post on our blog now. And of course, I'll put the link in the show notes as well. I hope you enjoy reading the post. 
Now let's get straight into our competition this week. We have three copies of Stay Awake by Megan Golden. Now you may remember that we actually interviewed Megan back in episode 237 when she wrote The Escape Room. So we thought you might like your chance to win one of three copies of Stay Awake, her latest novel. Liv Reese wakes up in the back of a taxi and with no idea where she is or how she got there. When she's dropped off at the door of her brownstone, a stranger answers, a stranger who claims to live in her apartment. She reaches for her phone to call for help, only to discover it's missing. In its place is a blood-stained knife. Her hands are covered in scribbled messages like graffiti on her skin. Stay awake. She's lost and disoriented in a New York City that looks nothing like what she remembers. She's horrified to see reports of a crime scene where the victim's blood has been used to scrawl a message across a window, the same message that's inked on her hands. What did she do last night? And why does she remember nothing from the past two years? Liv finds herself on the run for a crime she doesn't remember committing. But there's someone who does know exactly what she did, and they'll do anything to make her forget permanently. So, entries close on the 29th of August. Just go to writercentercomau slash win. And if you're at that URL sometime in the future, then don't worry, there'll be some other fantastic competition there for you to enter. So that's writercentercomau slash win. And entries close on the 29th of August. And now... Are you ready for the word of the week? This week's word of the week is omphalos. That's O-M-P-H-A-L-O-S. That's omphalos. That sounds really weird, doesn't it? It just reminds me of Mr. Snuffleupagus. Anyway, omphalos, it's another word for your navel. It's from the Greek myths, um, and omphalos was originally a rounded or conical stone in the temple of Apollo at Delphi, which was reputed to mark the center of the earth. Of course, that wasn't quite right, but anyway. So instead of saying she fell into her usual navel gazing, you could say she was omphalos grazing. No, not grazing. Omphalos gazing. (laughs) Okay, omphalos. There you go, for your navel or your belly button. And that was the word of the week. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may also like the book that Alison Tate and I have written together called So You Want to Be a Writer, How to Get Started While You Still Have a Day Job. Full of practical tips, motivation and inspiration, it's ideal for anyone who's thinking of dipping their toes into the wonderful world of writing. We've created a blueprint for aspiring writers to follow and it's suitable regardless of whether you want to plunge straight into this new career or if you need to explore it while you're still busy in your day job. Let us hold your hand as you turn your dream into a reality. Buy your copy today at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au forward slash book. Let's move on to our writer in residence this week. I have a great author lined up for you and I loved chatting to her and I love her story, not only the story she's written, but the story of how she got published. So um, you're in for a treat. But remember to stay on after the interview for more fun facts about the world of writing. 
Veronica's debut novel is The Whispering, and it's brilliant. I could not put it down. Veronica won the Banjo Prize for Fiction and has done many, many courses at the Australian Writers' Centre, and I know she is going to be a mainstay on the literary landscape for the years to come. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much, Valerie. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to um, talk all things writing and all things The Whispering. I am so excited too because your book is absolutely fantastic, The Whispering. And, oh, my goodness, it, this is your debut novel. I have to say it doesn't read like a debut novel. It reads like you have been writing for a very long time. It's fantastic. So let's start with, for people who haven't got a copy yet, um, what is it about? Yeah, so The um, Whispering is at its heart an Australian mystery. It follows our main character, Callum, as 30 years after a life-shattering accident, he returns to his hometown in far north Queensland to aid in the search of a local man that's gone missing in the rainforest. And it's not too long after Callum's feet hit the ground that he begins to suspect foul play. And as he goes uh, searching for answers, he starts to uncover the truth about uh, what happened to two girls that also went missing in the rainforest decades earlier. And um, as the story progresses, Callum has to fight quite hard to keep his feet firmly on the rainforest trail because he finds that the rainforest starts whispering to him and it's trying to uh, lure him astray. And um, since everyone in this town in North Queensland knows that the worst things in the rainforest are those unseen. Now, I think what I find fascinating is that I know that the idea for this came to you while you were having a massage. Can you just tell us a bit more about that? I don't really understand how that has happened. (laughs) I don't know. Inspiration just strikes whenever, I guess. Um, So, yes, I I knew that I had wanted to write a book for quite a while by that stage and I'm not sure. I was just obviously very relaxed or my mind was just wandering, but I got that initial spark, which was really, it was just a question, like a little tiny kernel of an idea, but that came to me during a massage. So as soon as the massage was over, I rushed out to my car and opened the notes section on my phone and just jotted down a few sentences um, that came to mind. And then I, I sort of let that sit and brew for quite a few months before I actually started tackling the project. But um, yeah, so, it did it came during a massage and I don't know why. But what was the question that came to you in the massage? Oh, it might actually be a little bit of a spoiler. It was sort of a Oh, okay. Question Let's not discuss it then. Yeah, sort of a, a what would happen if this was the scenario and how would that play out? But I think okay. it might be fair. Someone else has asked me and I think it's a, quite a big spoiler for the end. Oh, yes, yes. Let's, oh. We, we, we don't like spoilers here. Okay, yeah. so to give people some context, this is your first novel. Tell us what you have done in your career till now. So I have nothing to do with writing in my career. I um, come from a background in health. I'm a physio. Um, So I was just working uh, part-time in private practice, sort of that, you know, person that you come and see when you've got your sore neck from writing too much or your sore back or your, you know, hurt your knee running. And, um, yeah, so it was very different. But I've always have erred towards creative pursuits um, for hobbies. Um, So I quite like painting and a few other bits and bobs and I just thought that, you know, writing was something that hadn't always been on my radar, but I've always been an enthusiastic reader, like all writers. And, yeah, I just sort of um, just came to it one night and um, sort of haven't been able to turn away from it. But, yeah, my background's definitely not in writing, so I had to very much learn how to write. 
So you've actually done quite a few courses at the Australian Writers' Centre as well, Um, and one of them was Novel Writing Essentials. What did you get out of those courses that was useful to writing your novel? Yeah, I've I've lost track of the number of courses I've done. I think I've done like maybe eight or something like that, like the huge number of courses in a fairly, I think I did them within like two years, so within a fairly short um, period of time. But they basically taught me everything from how to uh, plot, um, how to uh, do dialogue fairly well. Um, I also took some of the courses just on really basic writing things because, as I said, sort of the fundamentals of writing because, as I said, I don't come from a background in writing. So I even took, uh, like, the grammar course for fiction and um, it really gave me confidence in my writing. And one of the things I loved about that um, course that you mentioned, the Novel Writing Essentials, was that I actually got to submit some of my pieces and um, I had the lovely Bernadette Foley as my convener at the time and she's an editor and it was just fabulous to have an editor look at your work because before that no one had looked at it and it was just, you know, always me sort of writing and not really getting any feedback or knowing how I was going. So she gave me a few um tips and a few areas that I needed to work on and then I was able to carry that through the rest of the manuscript so that was just um fabulous and with that course as well I you're with a group of other like-minded writers who are all trying to start their journey for writing a novel so you're all starting at the start really most people haven't really written much at all of that novel that they're working on and then you know you have this goal of, of reaching x number of words by the end of the course and that was it was such a supportive environment Oh, wonderful. So I understand that you are quite a planner and that when you got the idea for this novel, you you pretty much planned it out first before you started writing. You said that you thought about it for a few months. So can you take us through that process? What happened during those few months for you to flesh out, I understand, the entire story and how did you physically plan it out, like on post-it notes, in Word, in what? Yeah, so I um, had had a few failed attempts at writing some uh, novels prior. So I think I'd had three attempts where I pulled up stumps at around the 20,000 word mark and I hadn't planned or plotted those ones. I just sort of um, just sort of written into the void. And I'd always, yeah, sort of got to that 20,000 word mark and not really knowing what I was doing and even not convinced that it was a story I wanted to tell. And so after listening to a few author interviews um, of some of my favourite authors, I'd heard a few of them were plotters. And so I thought, right, I'm going to plot the next one and see if that gets me beyond that sort of 20,000 word mark. And so I got this idea, as we said, um, and then I let it sit for a few months. And the reason I let it sit for a few months is because I'd heard some people um, recommend that, some authors say that they like to let their ideas sort of just um, mull over in in their sort of subconscious. And I was also working on some short stories at the time that I was wanting to submit into a competition. So I wanted to finish those stories off and give them some justice uh, before I dove in. So it was two or three months maybe where I didn't touch the story at all. I just had those couple of sentences in my phone and I just let them but I was still writing, um, just writing something else. And um, then I spent a, a month planning it. So I actually can't remember if I planned it in, in Word or how I did it. I think I might have just done up a bit of a table and one had the main um, sort of uh, plot points, like the first turning point, second turning point, inciting incident, the midpoint, those sorts of things in there. Um, I've since progressed to Scrivener, so I plan things in there. I find that a lot friendlier because I can move things around more easily. 
Um, but yeah, I spent about a month planning it. And I, I broke the month down into sort of sections. So I was like, I'm going to spend a week coming up with the setting and sort of really thinking about the way the town is laid out and doing some research on the rainforest. At the time I was living in Brisbane, though I had um, visited the rainforest quite a lot. We had previously lived in Cairns. Um, but I was doing a lot of like looking at um, images online and writing down different flora tips about flora and fauna um, and thinking about how. So it's trying to bring the scenery to life. So I divided it up into I was going to have a week for scenery and a week for some of the, a week or two for characters maybe, and then another week looking at the plot points and sort of broke it down a little bit like that so I could chip away at it um, with the view that at the end of the month I would start writing. Um, and that's what I did. I then at the end of that was September, the month of September, I wrote, I planned it and then. Um, on the 1st of October, I started writing. And I think the novel writing essential course started on the 5th of October, so it was perfect timing. It's married in beautifully. Um, yeah, and then I just sort of, it was a bit of a whirlwind. I just sort of spat it out in, in a couple of months and had it done before Christmas. Wow. Okay. Just let's circle back to you. You decided on the plot points. When you planned it out, was it more broad, like, um, you know, your inciting incident, your first turning point, your second turning point, or so on? Or did you go scene by scene planning? Oh, I went scene by scene. So I started very broad and I, I and I do that now. I'm writing my second novel and I'm doing the same. I, I started off with this is the inciting incident, the hook that's going to get people in, in in sort of chapter one, so to speak, and then this is what's going to happen at, at sort of around maybe the 10% mark that's going to keep readers going and then this is the first turning point and then um, and I went through like that and I came up with those major points first and then I went back and went, okay, so how are we going to get from, you know, plot point A to plot point B and what scenes need to happen, you know, what sort of four or five scenes or chapters need to happen in that section there. And so then I would fill that in. And so by the end of the month, I sort of had a, a chapter by chapter breakdown and it wasn't great detail. It might have been you know, a few sentences or a paragraph for each chapter, but then at least when I went to write the first draft, I didn't have huge amounts of writer's block or staring at the blank screen because I would know what each scene had to entail. Wow. Okay. So with scene by scene planning, and you, you can't remember whether you did it in Word or whatever, but now you presumably you do you put a little scrivener index card for each yes. yep. scene, right? So oh, okay. Um that is so systematic. That's fantastic. Yeah. I I just love the rigor behind that. <laughs> now, when you were determining the scenes, you know, what was going to happen, what was going to take you from point plot point a to plot point b was that did that flow i mean or did you have to spend lots of time <laughs> walking in the wilderness and deciding what was going to happen you know how it was going to unfold how it was all going to play out it didn't always flow no i wish i could say it did but i think i'd be lying if i said that it just sort of flowed out beautifully no there were definitely times where i was um of playing around with it and I'd be stuck and not sure where, how we should get from A to B. And certainly um, what I did write in that first draft, it it, it changed. Like I sort of veered mm. off the track sometimes a little bit here and there of the uh, of the initial plan. Um, but it wasn't always breezy doing the, the plotting. And I have to say now, especially now that I've gone through the entire process right from sort of beginning, getting that kernel idea to publishing the book, I, I think my least favourite part of the process is probably the plotting part at the start but because I had those failed attempts earlier of trying to write novels and just not getting anywhere, I think that plotting is probably the best option for me, mm. um, but I don't especially enjoy it. 
Okay. So now this is not a spoiler, but the um, in terms of scene by scene, there are some scenes which are set in the past yeah. and they're told from, you know, one of the characters' point of view and, and they're set, you know, when they're much younger. Did you also plot that in a linear fashion or did you have some kind of parallel timeline and then you insert, inserted them? Yeah, I, I think I, originally I did them parallel. So I had the main story um, with all its major plot points and then I had this um, story of it's the main character when he's a teenager and had he, his uh, plot points from when he was a teenager. So if you read, there's not there's only a handful of chapters from when he was a teenager, but if you look at those chapters, you'll be able to see that um, they sort of mirror the, the plot points in the, in the main story thread as well. So there's sort of a midpoint um, reversal when he's a teenager as well as when he's an adult and there's a, a, a sort of a climax as a teenager and as an adult. So I, um, yeah, I very much, I did it, I did them separately mm. and then I slotted them in. And when I actually wrote the first draft, I wrote it, the whole thing from start to finish. So I'd write maybe five scenes of the main character as an adult and then I'd write a scene of him as a teenager and then another sort of half dozen scenes as an adult and back to a teenager and went through it that way. So I wrote the book really from, chapter one all the way through to chapter 40 or whatever it is. Right. So you planned it in parallel, but you wrote it in a linear fashion. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. Fascinating. Okay. So tell me about, okay, You, you then you write it and you enter the Banjo Prize. Tell me about the thought of why you entered the Banjo Prize and, and what you did when you heard <laughs> that you won. Yeah, so it was. Um, I entered the Mango Prize at the eleventh hour. Um, it was on my radar. I was aware of um, the unpublished manuscript competitions that were going on for the year, and the Banjo is one that was. You know, it's very enticing. It gives you a publishing deal, and that's fantastic, and not often offered. Um, and so it was very much on my radar. But by the time the entries were open, I had only completed my second draft. Uh, and so I had thought it wasn't really up to scratch. So previously when I'd written short stories and they had done well in competitions, I'd always written sort of six, seven or eight drafts of them. And so that's what I was prepared to do with the novel, to, to write that many before I went approaching uh, agents and publishers. And um, so I, I ended up entering it purely because I was listening to a podcast episode with Kath, uh, Catherine Milne, who's one of the HarperCollins publishers, and she was spruiking the banjo and uh, the podcast dropped only a couple of days before the banjo closed. And she said, look, it closes in a few days. And for anyone who's got a manuscript in their proverbial bottom drawer, send it our way. You've got nothing to lose and um, everything's potentially okay. And we'll have a read of it. And so I ended up just um, thinking, right, by the end of that podcast episode, I was like, right, I'm going to do it. I've got absolutely nothing to lose, potentially everything to gain. So I spent a couple of days just, there was no time to edit it but I just sort of formatted it and did a quick read through. So I was a bit of a spell check with it and tried to tidy it up as much as I could. And I entered it the day before it closed at like 11 p.m. at night. <laughs> and the next day I think it closed at 5 p.m., but I hadn't been able to work on it that day. So I knew that was sort of like my last minute to, to enter it. Um, yeah, and then here we are. So, Oh, my goodness. So what can you remember what you were doing when they told you or when you oh, found yes, out? Yeah, so I remember um, both getting the phone call for the be, being told that I was on the shortlist and also being told that I won it. But to be honest, the being told that I was on the shortlist was the one that really stands out um, in terms of like the emotional experience because there's so they get quite a few entries and to be, you know, one of four that gets shortlisted is, is incredible. 
Um, and so I was with my family and we had just moved from Brisbane to Townsville and we'd been doing a holiday in Cairns and it was the day that we were driving back from Cairns to Townsville, which is about a five-hour drive. And uh, I missed the call because I was driving and uh, it was an unknown number. And then we stopped at an ice cream shop for um, some treats for the kids and I just thought, oh, I should listen to that voicemail as I was walking back to the car park. So I had to listen to it and it was Anna Valdinger, who's the, my publisher, and she was absolutely delightful. It was the best voicemail I've ever received. She was gushing over the story and saying how much they loved it. And um, I had, up until that point, never really had anyone tell me how good my writing was. And so it was just so exciting. And I was, I, I don't know, I must have been jumping around the car park or something because a lady stopped <laughs> and asked me if I'd just won the lotto. Um, and when I tried to explain to her that, no, I wrote a book and a publisher liked it and, you know, my, you know wants to make me publish it, um, she just didn't quite get it and felt a bit short for her, I think. Um, yeah, so it was very exciting. And then, of course, my family came over and um, I had to explain it all to them because while my husband knew I had written a book, he didn't know I'd entered it into a competition. So I had to sort of Oh, my God. Wow. It. It, was just, it was very exciting. Made the rest of the journey in the car very exciting. I bet. I bet. What <laughs> fantastic news. And, you know, now it's out and it's just Absolutely fantastic. And other people are realising how how brilliant it is. Um, So now that, and I have no doubt this is going to be a huge success. Um, Now, though, are you, is this your thing now? Are you writing your um, second novel? And and have you, are you still being a physio? (laughs) Well, I'm actually not physioing at the moment, but that's because I have a four-month-old child. So I'm sort of in that, you know, that maternity leave stage anyway. Um, and so I'm uh, on, on sort of maternity leave with her. And in that time, though, I am uh, writing. So I'm currently writing a second novel at the moment. And I'm, you know, in the ideal world, this would be my thing and I wouldn't have to go back to work. But um, I, I dare say I'll probably have to go back maybe next year or the year after and, and get back into physio part-time at least. But it would be nice to at least be able to write part-time. Um but, I mean, wouldn't the dream be to do it full-time? So we'll see. Of course. So mm-hmm. is your second novel in a similar genre and um, have you gone through the the heavy-duty plotting process for it already as well? Yes, I have, yep. And it was a little bit like pulling teeth trying to plot. Um, uh, it felt like it was very different to um, I'd obviously just come out of the editorial phase for The Whispering and then started trying to plot this second novel and I feel like they're quite they're two different stages um, and so it was quite tricky to get back into it and um, so the second book is very much in a similar vein to the first book so anybody that enjoys the whispering will enjoy the second book uh, so it's a, a crime story and um, it's set again up in far north Queensland but not in a rainforest setting it's a very different sort of backdrop and um, it's got that sort of otherworldly feel to it as well like the whispering does so I think if you've enjoyed the first book then you then you should enjoy the second book. Um, this is so exciting. So d- just take me back, though, when you are in the midst of the writing. So I don't know, are you in the midst of the writing, the second novel now? Yeah, I'm at the tail end of the first draft now. Okay, so when you were writing the first draft, and this the question is also, I guess, for when you were writing the first draft of The Whispering, what was the process? You've already got a whole lot of scene-by-scene breakdowns. Do you go, I'm going to write? two scenes today or I'm going to write however many scenes today. How how does that work? Yeah, so I set myself a deadline. Uh, I wanted to finish it before Christmas 
And I started writing the 1st of October um, and we were going away for Christmas and I didn't want to take the writing with me. And I knew that I didn't want to be one of these people that was going to uh, take years and years and years to write my first draft. I knew I just wanted to be like, if I was going to do it, I wanted to do it and, and get it done quite quickly. Um, so in order to get it done by Christmas, I told myself I was going to write every single day and that I was going to write a thousand words a day. And I thought if I did that, that I would pretty quickly have sort of an 80 or 90,000 word manuscript. So that's exactly what I did. I think um, in the weeks between 1st of October and Christmas, I had, I think, three days off, but they were three planned days off. I, I knew I had work commitments and a family commitment on one of the days, so I knew in advance that I wouldn't write on those days. Um, and I just made sure that um, I, I wrote them. And so I, had, I actually wrote it when I wasn't working then either because I was on maternity leave with my second child, so I just had baby number three. Um, and so I was very much just writing in the evenings for the most part. So once my two kids were asleep, sort of from 8 p.m. onwards, I would just um, put myself at the dining table and type away. Uh, Until what time? Sorry. Oh, not long. It was probably 10 or so. I don't think I sort of wrote ever for longer than two hours at a time. Um, and I think because I had plotted it that I was able to sort of do that thousand words within that time frame. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I would have been able to stay awake past 10 o'clock with, with having two young kids. That is brilliant. So, I mean, it does save an incredible amount of time when you already know what's happening. Yes. So that's great. Yeah. And you were just really disciplined. Now, apart from your three days off, were you doing this seven days a week? Yes, yeah. So originally I had planned that I would just do it Monday to Friday and have the weekends off, but I think I was just enjoying it so much and I really wanted to get it done that I thought I'll just do the weekends too. And I, I sort of thought as well, I'm like, you know, it's, it was less than three months and I was like, it's quite short that's quite a short window um, to be, you know, that focused on something. So I sort of felt that I, I could just do it and, and it's sort of... Wow, you are really a great example of not waiting around for the muse to come. You just put your bum in that seat and you had a goal and you reached that goal. Okay, so you wrote it before Christmas, put it away, have Christmas. Um, what was your approach then for your second draft? Yeah, so for the second, during the first draft, while I was writing the first draft, I would get to certain scenes or chapters and I'd be writing away and I'd be like, oh, hang on, this is a really great idea and I want to add this in. And so I would add it into that scene, um, but I would also recognise that maybe I needed to thread it in earlier in the book. And so say, for example, I was writing chapter 20 and um, I realised I wanted to add a, a new sort of plot thread in that wasn't in my original plan. I would go back and look at the previous chapters very briefly, as in just look at the chapter titles and be like, oh, well, maybe I can add that into chapter three and chapter 13 and then it will be reintroduced in chapter 20. So I'll go back to chapter three and 13 and just at the very top in a highlighted font, I would write one sentence of you need to add this in. Um, and I wouldn't bother going back to read those chapters and then figuring out where to add it in and writing it in nicely. And I think that's also why I wrote that first draft so quickly. Um, and so when I went to write the second draft, uh, most of my chapters had a few sentences at the top of them of things that needed to be added into those scenes. So that's what um, writing the second draft involved. But I had also printed off the first draft, read it with a highlighter and a red pen and marked it. So my second draft also involved taking anything that was written on that printed copy and putting that in, into the digital copy as well. So you are an incredibly systematic, methodical person. That is very obvious, which makes me ask the question, why did you not plot the earlier efforts, your earliest attempts? Because yeah. it seems really an, an, a contradictory to your personality. I love that you say that because I'm actually inherently lazy <laughs> and very much a procrastinator. 
And that, that, that's this, different though. Yeah. This, oh, but this is what I did, I think, to combat that. So originally I think I was wanting to be, you know, nice and creative and just see where the words took me and the story took me. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit, I think, lazy and I don't always want to de- necessarily dedicate myself to something. Um, but and so I think that's why I, sort of, I leant towards that pantsing um, mode originally. But when that failed three times and just each story went flop, um, I thought, no, no, I'm going to do this um, this planning business because I'd heard of several authors that um, I hold in high esteem had had done very well with with planning. And was that what motivated you? Because after sort of a three failed attempts, you can feel a bit depressed. Yeah. <laughs> so was that what motivated you to keep going, hearing that it was possible with plotting? Yes, yeah, and I really wanted to write a book. I was just, <laughs> I just really wanted to do it. I wanted to be able to say I've written a book, and it, I just loved that idea. And so, I just, yeah, I knew, even though these stories were sort of, I was starting these stories, and they weren't very good, and they were just going nowhere. Um, I still always had this sort of burning desire to write a book, a full-length book. And so, I was just sort of waiting for a good idea to strike me, and then I had decided that I would plot the, the next attempt. I think that's utter rubbish that you're um, lazy because clearly you're incredibly <laughs> determined and hardworking. Anyway, um, as you know, we always uh, end with um, what are your top three tips for aspiring writers who would love to have to see their books on bookshelves like you, you are seeing now with your book? Um, my first tip is to uh, immerse yourself in the craft of writing. So realise it's a craft and that it can be learnt and not to be discouraged by early attempts that aren't particularly good. Uh, my very early attempts of writing were appalling and I remember looking back at them and just being like, these are shocking, we should burn the laptop. Um, <laughs> and so I think realising that even if things aren't great to begin with, that you can learn it and, you know, you can en- enrol in online courses, you can listen to podcasts with lots of tips um, and then to also really immerse yourself into it. So to make sure that you're, you know, if, if you're going to do it, sort of try and, I guess, do it uh, consistently and regularly so that you improve at a, at a good pace. So that would be my first tip. Uh, my second tip would be to um, try and join the writing community. So obviously, if you live in a big city, you'll probably be able to join your local writer centre. But if you're living more uh, regionally or rurally, then there's a great online writing community and it's incredibly supportive. So I found that early on, or not early on, but it was um, probably uh, 18 months ago or so that I discovered there was a really good writing community out there. And um, I just found that I jumped on Twitter and this was after listening to a few podcasts with authors and uh, I just started following some authors that I liked and then started following some more uh, debut authors as well and seeing who they follow. And um, I found that I felt that I wasn't alone because writing such a solitary pursuit and to know that there's other people at a similar stage to you is fantastic. And it's very encouraging to hear when other people are up and they're sort of um, posting their successes and their failures and that's it sort of just spurs you on a little bit. So that would be my second um, piece of advice. Uh, and then my third one would be to um, try and take yourself seriously as as an author if you're wanting to get published. So if you're obviously just writing for yourself and for your own benefit and, and your own love of writing, then that's fine. But if you're aspiring to become published down the track, um, try and take yourself seriously as an author. So I um, decided last year before I found out I was shortlisted for the banjo that I would um, sort of start trying to um, present myself as an author. So I looked at, um, I, d- I did some of the courses uh, through AWC 
see about setting up an online presence. Um, I got some professional headshots done. I'd already picked out what website um, company I was going to go with so that when it came to actually approaching agents and publishers, I could direct them to the website. Um, and I, you know, things like I was being quite diligent with deadlines and setting myself word targets so that I would actually get things done. Uh, because I figured I may as well, if I wanted to give writing a serious go, uh, I would, I should give it as much effort as I would any other potential sort of career change. So if I was going to enroll in my master's at uni, I would probably spend an hour or two every night doing assignments, if not more. And why shouldn't I do that with writing if that's sort of the path that I'm hoping to go down? Brilliant. And like I said, not lazy at all. Determined, <laughs> systematic, methodical, and incredibly talented. Congratulations on the whispering. I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see where you're headed next. Thank you so much for your time today, Veronica. Oh, thank you so much, Valerie, for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our hugely popular course, How to Write About Murder, is all about creating more authentic action for your crime or thriller novel. Presented by award-winning crime author Candace Fox, this course covers nine modules of fascinating detail, taking you beyond the police tape to explore what motivates killers and how they go about their business. You'll also immerse yourself in the chase, from the murder scene and autopsy to the investigation that follows. Plus, because it's one of our on-demand courses, you'll get instant access and learn at your own pace with 12 months access to all course materials. You can find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash murder course. This week, my nerdy little confession is that I discovered that the word schoolmaster is an anagram of the classroom. <laughs> So then I went out looking for other fun anagrams, and here are a few more, believe it or not. Astronomers is an anagram of moon starers. Now, I suppose I should circle back, and just in case anyone's listening and you're not sure what an anagram is, well, an anagram is a word or a phrase or a name that's simply formed by rearranging the letters of another word or phrase or name, right? So if you rearrange the letters of astronomers, then you get moon starers. Bizarre, right? Another one is a decimal point, believe it or not, is an anagram of a dot in place. Really, a dot in place. 11 plus 2 is an anagram of, are you wait for it? Are you ready for it? 12 plus 1. And the Morse code, the words the Morse code, is an anagram of here come dots. <laughs> okay, and this one is an absolute corker. It was created by master anagrammer Corey Calhoun. So he took this original line from Hamlet, right? This is an original line from Shakespeare's Hamlet. To be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. So that's the original line from Hamlet's Shakespeare, and he created this anagram. In one of the bard's best thought of tragedies, our insistent hero, Hamlet, queries on two fronts about how life turns rotten. Clever, right? I think he had a lot of time on his hands. 
Now we've come to the end of this week's episode. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And what I would appreciate even more if you have 30 seconds is to leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice because it helps us in the rankings and helps us get discovered by other people as well. So if you've been enjoying it, I really hope that you take some time to do that if you can. Now, if you'd like to connect with me on social media, feel free. Uh, I'm at Valerie Koo, K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram. And I've, I'm over at ValerieKoo.com. But of course, you can check out all of the show notes at SoYouWantToBeAWriter.com.au. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to chatting to you again next time. Thanks for listening to So You Want To Be A Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercenter.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writercentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.